Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL. Glad you're here today to tune in to this interview. This interview is from a live event I did with Wiff Rudd from Baylor University on January 14th, 2021 as part of my Industry Pro Showcase. Uh, we talk about, at the beginning, uh, some of Wiff's background in performing and teaching, and a good significant portion of this is uh, talking about his new book, Side by Side which you can get either on Amazon or on WIF's website at www.wifrud.com. You can also find the full video version of this interview on the Studio HFL YouTube channel, and while you're there, you should go ahead and subscribe. I'd encourage you to visit Apple Podcast, leave a star rating and a review. Those help to elevate the visibility of the show. And you can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Studio HFL. And I'd encourage you to sign up for the newsletter. You can do that at StudioHFL.com. And of course, that gives you weekly updates on interview releases, uh, new interviews coming up, and other developments uh, with the show here. I'd like to uh, recognize my Patreon patrons for their generous contributions to this show. Their support is extremely valuable to the work that I'm doing, and it's a great encouragement both financially and an inspiration. If you would like to be a part of the Studio HFL community, please visit www.patreon.com slash Studio HFL. There are four tiers of support from which you can choose, each with benefits for becoming a subscriber. Now a little bit about uh, my other Patreon patrons happen to be the sponsors for this show. Brass players can be kind of picky when it comes to cases, perhaps even more so than other musicians. If you have an idea for a custom case, then Messina Covers has your solution for completely custom case designs, even down to a wide variety of color schemes. Don't forget about options for mouthpiece pouches. By the way, I have to show you the one that they made for me. It's an eight mouthpiece pouch for trumpet. I mean, it's not like eight tuba mouthpieces. That's too big. Uh, of course, they can pretty much make a case for whatever you want to keep protected. You can check them out at messinacovers.net. If you're looking for excellence in trumpets, trombones, horns, and tubas, you need look no further than the Eastman Music Company. And S.E. Shires offers a complete line of brass instruments from the beginner all the way up to the professional and... You know they're invested in creating a quality product when the legendary Doc Severinsen helped design Eastman's beginner model trumpet. You can find out more at eastmantwins.com and seshires.com. Pickett Blackburn has established themselves as a top-tier resource for trumpet players. If you haven't had a chance to try any mouthpieces available through Pickett or the incredible line of Blackburn trumpets, you can check them out at pickettblackburn.com. And of course, a couple of nights ago, I had Peter Pickett and Eric Murine as my guest, you should check out that interview as well. Some really terrific uh, information there. Well, again, thanks for being here. Now let's get to my interview with with Rudd. Okay, we're live. Hey, everybody, Larry Powell here, Studio HFL, and uh, I'm going to welcome everybody in. I know it's going to take a while for people to, to kind of stream in here, but, uh, you know, this has been already a fun week. This has been what I've called the Industry Pro Showcase, and I started out with <laughs> Uh, you know, this is all because we can't go to a physical music ed conference and, and talk to exhibitors and, and friends. So this is kind of my idea of, of bringing everybody to you, bring, you know, bringing these guys to you. Uh, of course, I started out with Trent Austin Monday night. That was a hoot. Um, uh, Tuesday night, Ricky Riccardi. And then I had Doc pop in halfway through and, and that just was, that was a treat. Um, Last night, I had Peter Pickett and Eric Murine, and, you know, we nerded out on trumpets and mouthpieces. That was great. 
course tonight I've got Liff Rudd and I'm I'm thrilled for this this next little bit, man. I, I'm so excited about this. Uh, of course, then tomorrow we've we've got two more sessions. Tomorrow, Carl Hammond, uh, and I'm gonna say we're gonna find out if everything is better in HD tomorrow night. <laughs> and then uh, Messina covers uh, David Messina, Erica Howard Saturday night to round out everything. And I, I've they've been friends. I've talked to them, and I think it was such a fascinating part of the industry. You know, we think about mouthpieces and trumpets, but you know, cases themselves. Uh, you know, it's kind of a, a, a neat thing, but there's more to than just cases we'll talk about there. So anyways, uh, all these interviews are going to end up both on YouTube and on the podcast. So if you've missed the previous three nights, don't worry, you can find it. Uh, they're all already uploaded on the, the uh, Studio HFL YouTube channel. If you make your way there, please subscribe. And uh, of course, the audio is available on the uh, on the podcast. So I'm Larry Powell. I'm the host and uh, like a kid in a candy store sitting here talking to all these great people. <laughs> and so here's here's my first experience with Whiff Rudd, who's sitting right here in front of you. My first experience with was probably you're going to have a better idea of the year, mid to late 90s, Indianapolis, Indiana. Rhythm and brass. You guys, I, myself, my wife, my mother-in-law, and my oldest son uh, were sitting there and absolutely blown away. It was like nothing. I mean, I'd seen Canadian Brass, fantastic. I had seen Empire Live, fantastic. You guys were different. And, <laughs> a little different. But, but I mean, I was so excited. And there was a tune. There were several, but there was a tune called Caravan, where I remember who was the trombone player in the group. Tom Brantley. He, there's Brantley. a he yeah. turned back upstage toward and just started wailing, and I mean that was the kind of energy in that group. And you know, you guys did so many different things. And of course, I was the first time I'd ever heard about Rex, and uh, it was uh, Villa Rubia, right? And Charles Villa Rubia, uh, 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 Shuhan, Alex, Alex Shuhan, Triple Threat, right. you know, with horn and piano, and he's funny. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was my first experience. And then, uh, like I was telling you just a few minutes ago, I saw you at Ball State University. You came and did a master class yeah. and, a, and a clinic and a recital. Big trumpet and, day, I remember. Yeah. yeah. And I came up, uh, Stephen Campbell's a friend of mine. I came up and, and checked it out. But you did. The one I remember was Stanley Friedman's Solace. Love that piece. I mean, you, you owned it. It, oh, it was, well, thanks. <laughs> it was, it was one of the coolest, uh, coolest things I had heard. So that's my experience with you. And of course, uh, not just those reasons, but I mean, it, this is great timing because you have just put a book out side by side, this right here. Let's see if I can get a glare, not on there. Uh, if you guys don't have a copy of this book yet, you need to get it. It's it's spectacular. The writing is fantastic. The content is fantastic. Uh, the ideals are, uh, well, it, I agree with everything in it. So you guys can disagree wow. with me if you want no, to. Wow, wait a but, minute. <laughs> so, read that again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, that that's a very long-winded, but this is to show, you know, I mean, this is kind of the my background and my admiration for what you've done. I've, I've seen you and heard you as a performer. Uh, I've read you as an author. The only thing I don't know yet is you as an educator. So maybe we'll find out a little bit about 
that as well. So I, sure. I want you uh, to give us a little bit of insight, but here's the formal Wolf Red. Welcome. Thank you to very the much. Show. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Wow. Well, the names are popping up. Yeah. Right. Hey, Derek, Karen, hey, Mark. <laughs> are, these, are these people? Oh, Bruce Fasca. I know him. Of course, yeah, Jennifer Bruce, Powell. That's my Adrian, wife there. Yeah. That's great. This is great. It's great. Um, well, so, thank you yeah. for doing this. Yeah, yeah. I've been looking forward to this and, and I'm just, I've really enjoyed your other interviews. And I told Tony Plogue uh, that you and I had spoken and I think he was one of your first I think he was number six or number seven. Yeah. yeah. And he, he just had, had a ball and Tony and I have a lot of, a lot of discussions about a lot of things, but uh, <laughs> anyway, he sends his greetings, but thank oh, you thank for you. doing this. Yeah. I appreciate it. You yeah. bet. Uh, so some background uh, about you as a performer, maybe start sure. there first. Sure. Well, um, a lot of people know my story, but I'm, I'm a Texas boy. I kind of grew up in the Texas system. Um, not in a musical family other than, you know, I was the fifth of six children and we all went through a year, at least a year of piano. I wish I'd stuck with it now, but right. I barely made it through the year when I was six yeah. years old. And, yeah. uh, uh, but trumpet was just, I was just kind of drawn to it in the sixth grade. That's when you start in Texas. And I didn't really study it. I just enjoyed being in band and I was just a, just a kid in Texas. And, uh, Things kind of started happening in high school, and I was having fun with it and kind of uh, finding my my people, you know. And then we moved, which was a little bit harsh, right in the middle of uh, high school. Uh, so I, I moved. We moved to San Antonio, and I had the very good fortune for two years of studying, quite by accident, with a gentleman named Bill Snyder. And Bill had been principal trumpet of the San Antonio Symphony, and he was a William Snyder. I mean a um, an Ernest Williams student oh. and just a phenomenal, I mean, Ernest Williams students were just special, you know, Ray Cressera, you know, the, the list is incredibly long. Mm -hmm. And um, I did, but I just enjoyed lessons and just tried to sound like him. And, and it was time to look at going to school and doing something. And I couldn't think of anything but music. I was a very, go ahead. I, I was going to ask, who were the influences as you're going through sixth, seventh grade and you're starting oh, to, yeah. to listen to, I mean, it, it, you're, yeah. if you're going to say Maynard, I guess everybody would expect that, right? But I'm hoping that you're going to sure, have some but, other. But really, for me, it was Al Hurt and Doc Severinsen, you know, and I remember they were the halftime of the Super Bowl, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, that that was my era. And uh, Herb Albert had, I think it was three primetime television specials, 30 minute specials. And I would, I had my reel to reel tape recorder on my little mic and trying to keep everybody quiet. Cause there were no Jackson, <laughs> you know, direct right. recording. So right. that's how I record. I remember recording the theme of Mannix because it was just a great jazz tune and great playing. And, but uh, it was Al Hurd and Doc Severinsen and uh, some Herb Albert. And then of course seeing Doc on, on TV. Um, and then I started learning about other players, you know, but I, I didn't really study music or know about music. I just, I just enjoyed it. And I'm just so, uh, so thrilled that it was what I pursued in college, but I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in Texas, all states like a really big deal. Uh, and when I was a freshman, I did well in the region bands and everybody said, oh man, you're going to be an all stater your sophomore year. And I was just like, well, well what is that? Mm -hmm. So I felt this pressure to, you know, I just enjoyed playing. Suddenly there's pressure to, to advance or whatever. 
And the next year I really didn't do any better. And the next year I did worse. So I just kind of like, I wasn't working that. Cause I, I, I worked hard and I learned the music, but when it came to performing, I would just shake like a leaf. And I always say in clinics, how can my mouth be so dry and my hands so wet? You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> could, we, could we reverse that? But uh, it was my senior year where the lights kind of came on and I started to just play for the joy of playing and getting ready for college. And uh, I wasn't that much of a better player. And when it comes to auditions at any level, the results may be if you could do the same audition five, six days in a row, some of the results would be very similar and some of the results would be quite different. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's never a point of bragging, but how does a, how does a kid who's doesn't do anything as junior year make first chair senior year? And the answer was I prepared hard and I, just didn't care that much because it wasn't going to go well. Right. So I decided not to care as much. There's a whole sermon in that somewhere, but uh, the senior year in college in high school was really, uh, this is what I want to do. And of course it was quite a journey after that. Um, what well, was that a music ed or performance or what was so, your focus in college? You know, I, I, I kind of grew up in this time where people said you needed to do music ed. So you'd have something to fall back on. I don't like that, that phrase. Um, but I knew um, that I'd be getting married as a young man, and I did, and we got married in the middle of my junior year. I knew I wanted to be in music. Uh, my goal, my, my dream was to be a university teacher someday and a performer, because I was looking at my teacher in college, Mike Ewald, who mm -hmm. was just wonderful. And that's what he was doing. And I thought, that's, that's a great job. But I also thought I need to be able to uh, support a family. And I, I enjoyed teaching. So I got the music ed degree and acted like a performance major, if that makes sense. You know, yeah, a lot of people yeah. do that. Yeah. And just trying to be prepared. And the more I stayed in music, I started to realize that <clears throat> if you're going to be a performer, you have to really go for it, of course. And if you're going to do education, do it because you love it, not because something else didn't work out. So I, as know, a yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I was going to say, as a performer, are you drawn to the orchestral stuff or the soloist or chamber? What What was your focus? With yeah, that? you know, I I do enjoy soloing, but you know, I think especially because of my early outings, being such a nervous young player, I was always drawn to small group playing. I loved quintet all the way through college. Always was in a quintet. I've always been in a quintet or or mixed chamber music and orchestral playing, of course. And I certainly went through that phase of I want to play trumpet in a major symphony orchestra. And uh, I could talk about some of those, some of those outings, you know, but I now wish I had thought in terms of, I want to have a meaningful career in music, hopefully with a trumpet. And it was a potential recruit that said that in an audition one time. It was so refreshing because, you know, to be young and to say, I'm going to be the next principal trumpet of this orchestra is kind of limiting it's pretty lofty and it's, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like, well, there might be some things out there that you might miss out on if that's it. Mm -hmm. Now, for those who have gone that career route and have those skills, that's kind of what you have to do. But these are interesting times in music. And uh, I'm more of the thinking that there are possibilities out there. I mean, I think about my life in rhythm and brass. That was just, it was not a dream come true. It wasn't really? my dream. 
in oh. college, I never, I never thought about that. And what if I hadn't gone a little bit different route and investigated that? I mean, the the dreams I think have to be updated with what we we know about. And, well, uh, and you may be... not know what that dream, what yeah. you really want to have yet, right? I mean, when you're when you're young and and less experienced, right? I mean, your your dream has to expand because you you grow, right? right. I mean, that's that's exactly, exactly what's what you're talking about. That's what's happening. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like be ready because you never know. I mean, I I had a wonderful time in my first job. You know, briefly I went to Baylor. It's a joy teaching where I went to school and never expected that. That was not my dream. And yet it's, if I look back now, it's like, wow, what a surprise, you mm -hmm. know, uh, working with Bill Fund for my master's was phenomenal. Uh, and my first job was a, a small university, Oklahoma Baptist University. And what an amazing situation. Um, 30 minutes to a really serious gigging town. Ended mm -hmm. up playing big bands, recording studios. I mean, all my little dreams, you know, can I be an orchestra player? Can I be a studio player? Well, I didn't go to L.A. I didn't play in the New York Philharmonic, but I was in Oklahoma City mm -hmm. doing all those things on the side. It was really exciting. And it was really um, a concert with the Canadian Brass. The first time I saw Canadian Brass was at the University of Oklahoma. Drove the 30, 40 minutes. And I left that going. I didn't know you could do that and make a living doing that. It was not my dream. But within months, I auditioned for Dallas Brass. And who would know that for the next 13 and then with part-time years, next 18, 20 years would would do that, that kind of work. So, yeah, it's, it's about uh, being prepared. And I think you know, musicians I now must really think about that and don't 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 close doors before they have the chance to open up well i think about this i mean now as an educator you're sitting there and a student comes to you and says you know they want to talk about the studio you can talk about the studio they want to talk about touring with a small group you can talk about it right i mean all see i i believe all of this happens to give us the experience to empathize and relate absolutely to students Right. And I, I mean, we're getting into your book now, right? It's, this is, this is referring to You're a lot of what you talk right, about. Because don't we teach from our experience, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you're a young teacher, because I re, you know, I have them somewhere, the reject letters from my first college job <laughs> applications. I mean, that's a big pile. And, you know, the common response was, well, you're too young. You don't have enough experience. And that was really true. But on the other hand, um, I'm so fortunate that my the, the folks who hired me first saw um, I was affordable. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the guy's his wife's pregnant. He needs a job. He's getting out of grad school. But uh, I think they saw the sensibilities mm -hmm. that maybe thanks to my teachers and parents and my support network that were hopefully in place, and they they nurtured that. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I got that taste for wanting to perform more and more, getting brave, more and more brave. And that's not easy for an introvert. Mm -hmm. Seeing Canadian brass going, oh, is that possible? And then quitting a tenure job to do that was a little scary. But you wouldn't change a thing, would you? No, no. And this is where, you know, we talk about all this is so based upon relationships. And I have to salute my wife, Jeanette. Uh, she's out of town right now, but she may be here. Uh, but, you know, she's, as I say in the beginning of the book, she's the one that was willing to take 
running jumps off cliffs with me because <laughs> of a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. She's lucky that gut feelings only came around every seven to 10 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something to that seven year cycle. Um, yeah, that's right. You, you know, I, I just, here's another thing I admire about uh, people like you. It's you don't get somewhere and become stagnant. You don't just settle down and teach. You are always striving to improve yourself. I mean, the book in it is, is evidence of that. The fact that you're that you're writing about this and you you're showing how deeply you think about it. I mean, this is not your 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 terminal. Is that the right? Uh, this is not the it for you, right? This is this is just yet yeah. another yeah. another uh, stepping uh, not even a stepping stone, another landmark along the way, right? You're continuing to grow, and I think that that uh, students pick up on that. You know, if I remember uh, in particular a. Uh, an education psychology class I took in a bachelor's degree where the mm-hmm. professor, this is back when, you know, they were uh, notepads. There, there were no computers. <laughs> uh, well, there were computers, right? But uh, the notepad, I think, was so yellowed from the 30 years of <laughs> of teaching the same thing over and over. It was just, it was his job. He was doing it over and over. There was nothing new. It was all by rote. And it was just became a monotonous for the students, for us as well. Yeah, right. but I, I don't right. sense that with people like you who are continually moving forward. Yeah, and I I didn't know how to express those things as a younger teacher or performer. And and I have to I, I look back a lot on the the conversations with the you know my rhythm and brass colleagues. We had a lot of time on airplanes <laughs> and on vans and lots of adventures and great times and um, lots of disagreements and great reconciliation and wonderful concerts. You know, there's no telling what went on the day of the concert that, that you witnessed, but you know, our day was always in the music. And we talked a lot. And I, I think it was our drummer, Dave Gluck, when he talked about, he just mentioned one time the difference between recreating and creating. And honestly, a lot of my early teaching was trying to just help students recreate. Let's recreate the Haydn. Let's recreate mm-hmm. something that's been done over and over again. And that's an important part of the process. But where do we come in? You know, mm-hmm. and that's the uh, that's the creative, the creative side. And it's I guess it's two different sides of the brain. I'm no expert, but it seems like we can we can flip back and forth very, very easily. You know, what what happens when a student comes in and they're uncomfortable or distressed or worried, but maybe through some distraction, you know, the art of distraction is an important skill for teachers to to develop. Mm-hmm. Some people do it very instinctually. Some people have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, what can you do to get the student out of that side into the other? And it's it's through a game playing a musical game. It's through getting them to laugh. I have a student right now and I finally made them laugh in a lesson. And I, I don't know which lesson was number 10, number 15, but I, they laughed and I said, I made you laugh. Finally. <laughs> I mean, this is, I think I put in the book, you know, Victor yeah. Borger said that, you know, the laughter is the, the shortest distance between two people. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's the glue um, or, or shared sadness. That's the glue. So it's that creative versus recreative. And mm-hmm. I don't want to just keep doing the same thing. You know, I see some of the former students chiming in. I see somebody, Bill Kester yeah. from grad school, you know, 
Bill, Bill and I haven't talked in years and, um, you know, but he was such a creative, amazing uh, musician and we well, always need to be growing and changing. Another one here, Andy Lott, of course, Andy's principal trumpet, yeah. Fort Wayne Philharmonic. And, you know, I, I've had the good fortune to work with Andy here in the studios in Indianapolis, and I've I've assisted him in the Fort Wayne Phil. And, uh, and, and I have a video of us in the recording studio, and he's going to kill me for telling this. And I still have this video. <laughs> but we were recording. share a screen. <laughs> well, we were recording Sweet Caroline, and he didn't know it was a real take. And so he started singing along. Right. Instead of playing his part. Yeah. There you go, Andy. 1921. Yeah. So uh, okay. Andy's a heck of a player, but I mean, there is somebody I mean, when, when they, when they, you can tell the reverence they have for their teacher, when they, you came up and, you know, almost every time I encountered uh, Andy. And of course I knew that you would come in. Well, sometimes I didn't get to play up there because he had, he brought you into play with the orchestra. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little jealous uh, of that, yeah. but I, but I can understand, you know, I'll let it slide, but, uh, but I can see that, you know, with, with Andy and uh, Bruce Fasky. I don't know if uh, you know, Bruce. Uh, well, yeah, Bruce up, did his uh, master's at Baylor. Yeah. Okay. So there's the connection there. Well, yeah. he plays down in the Owensboro Symphony. So we're colleagues. Right. We've played down there. And we are a terrific guy, terrific trombone player. Um, yeah, so, it, it, you know, we're just making the world smaller right now, right? It's uh, getting smaller and smaller. But, you know, this is, this is a great segue right into your book because uh, you don't start out right away talking about community, but it is early on in the book. And I, it's such a significant part of the book it, you know and when we talked uh, a few days ago you said you can kind of pick it up and read it out of out of order but to me mm -hmm. i think that maybe you ought to change that and say you need to read that chapter first because <laughs> I, well i do i think it i think it's key to understanding how the rest of the book ties together and so talk a little bit about the the community and creating this yeah. sense of of togetherness well th thank you for asking about that and and actually early on um with a couple of the drafts or the outlines, uh, I ran it by several people, and and um, somebody, meaning well, said, you know, I think I think this this is a different thing. I think that's a like do that an article or do another book, mm -hmm. but just I think people want to hear about your teaching. So I I kind of tried, but I I couldn't write the rest of the book without talking about uh, mm -hmm. how do you set the stage for teaching. Mm -hmm. And I would not, I've been really blessed in this career um, and in life. Uh, and I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't happen without certain relationships having taken place. And, and people who are willing to strive to have a relationship with me as a young student or a young professional. And I really, I was just figuring stuff out and they were so gracious and patient, you know, mm -hmm. um, so I couldn't I couldn't write about how to teach without talking about um, what it means to be together in community. And there are a couple of silly stories in there about my Dallas neighbor that I tried to become a neighbor for four years. <laughs> he walked over to say goodbye when we were loading up to move away. And he said, you guys are great neighbors. And I said, no, we weren't. We tried. And what could we have enjoyed? What kind of sips on the lawn could we enjoy it in discussions right. to if we had just hung out a little bit so um and and my colleague mark schubert he and i team teach the studio mark is just a, a wonderful colleague and uh, 
he speaks a lot and I've, I've absorbed so much and his thoughts are in the book too about, you know, trumpets not that hard if the heart and the mind are right. If we can get a relationship, if we can get trust, if we're um, joyful, grateful, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not always happy. We're not always going to be happy, but we can be joyful and we can be expectant. Uh, it's not just optimism. It's it's just knowing that you're in this with people moving along. If we can get a student there, and if I can be there, we can do the work. We can do the work. Uh, I, I know uh, my wife is is watching this, but something you just said, uh, I, I'm surprised I'm not hearing her just jump up and down. You know, talking about this, <laughs> but, but about being joyful. You know, that's that's something that. Uh, that well, she's a she's a, a violinist, but she's also a, a designer and screen printer, and you know she's about putting that kind of stuff out there. You know, so she's yeah. got this she's got stuff about joy, and I'm thinking, man, she's she's going to need to make you a studio shirt. Uh, <laughs> okay, <about that>. <laughs> this was not meant to turn into uh, you know shameless self promotion, but if that's <laughs> where we end up, the okay. Room, she said, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah, but the community, uh, and of course, I don't want to gloss over this, but there's so much out of this book. Uh, the other chapter that, uh, well, there are other two other chapters that really were significant to me. One was on leadership, and the other, I, I'm still, I'm taking my time and uh, make a game plan, and I have to because it's a really long chapter. But, yeah, that's that's a long chapter for but, sure. It's a you big, know, it's a long game. And what's what struck me in that particular chapter was this was this uh, really great conversation about underachievement and uh, grading. You know, how do we assess? Uh, not how do we just we assess, but how do we get the students to assess their progress and you know, what their expectations are? And to me, that that's something I've struggled with as a teacher is, you know, do you create a rubric? I mean, it's such an, can be such an objective thing, right? Yeah. So, so how do you, maybe talk a little bit about that if you would. Yeah. It, it's really tough assessing, uh, assessing music, you know, and, and improvement, you know, we know what it's like to have a student come into a jury and to hear, to know the student so well and to hear the amazing progress they've done, but maybe it's not up to what the fact you haven't heard them play in a semester or they've heard them play in ensembles, but not a solo or something. Mm -hmm. And you read the comments, it's kind of like, well, where I'm coming from in assessing a student is so different than where somebody else who's just assessing that's kind of A, B or C playing, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. to me, if there's remarkable improvement and in focus, I mean, I, it's, you have to, you have to assess the effort. You know, but I think the big the big challenge and it's so hard to to assess music because it's so abstract. You know, it's the most abstract of all the arts. And and it's such a you know, we all have different feelings about what we hear, Mm -hmm. different sensibilities. I think the main thing is to build the expectations with the students, you know, and that's I talk a lot about bringing students in and asking what they want to achieve. That's kind of how we'll start next week in our lessons. I'll get out the sticky note. What do you want? What's what is this semester? What do you want it to look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, but have them kind of forecast how they how they want to work, and uh, and then we do have certain things that we grade for, like the attendance to our mm-hmm. warm up. It's going to be ten percent of the grade, mm-hmm. 
you know, and uh, their the quality of their project and then the average of their jury grades. But grading is tough. It's it's tough. And I've tried all the systems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you always think that you're fixing it. And it's it's a but I think communication. If my students are watching, what we'll do this semester is we're going to assess each week and we're going to agree. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So we can see if our expectations are in the same place. You know, I, I'm thinking, I teach at the University of Indianapolis, and last semester was a challenge. I, I had three freshmen, and I'm thinking, what an absolute, this is my perspective, what an absolute horrible time to become, to be a freshman in college, especially in music, and yep. to have done so much virtually. And so when it came time to grade their lessons, you know, that that changed from previous semesters because, uh, well, unprecedented times call for unprecedented measures, right? I mean, it, so, right. you know, I mean, this was a, it, but you have to show mercy <laughs> in, in a situation <laughs> yeah. like that, right? I mean, it was, it's difficult on you and me and them. That was, and this next semester may not be any better, you know, if there's, if there's a lot of virtual teaching and learning going yeah, on, it's, right. it's such a challenge. Um, I, I see some of the comments over here, uh, people agreeing with me and you, and boy, that's, that's a nice thing to see. I'm, I'm going to cut and paste uh, all the agreeing statements like, uh, <laughs> uh, well, Derek Watson, uh, well, it can't be the Derek Watson, right? Uh, the the well, British yeah. player. He was amazing. Yeah. Uh, so but, was Derek Watson. <laughs> uh, or that was Watkins. That was Derek Watkins. Watkins. That's, yeah, I was close. Yeah, First Brass is my, the favorite album of mine that he played. I was just brass. And it's an amazing album, First Brass. Oh. Well, I, um, Derek, I'm going to get back to you in a second. But, you know, uh, I only discovered uh, Derek for myself a couple of years ago. Of course, you know, found out, oh, he's the guy that played all the James Bond stuff. Phenomenal. And then I find all these videos, some of them kind of dated. But, I yeah. mean. In the studio and everything. Yeah. Phenomenal player, right? I mean, all and just chops for days. You know, it's like he was one of the most yeah. efficient, efficient players. But all right, Derek Watson, not Watkins. Uh, so is this a former student or a colleague of yours? No. Okay, no, so Derek Watson on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, leadership chapter is brilliant. Do what is right. Don't seek credit. Man, that was those are powerful statements. You know, it's the motivation, right? Yeah. 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 Don't seek. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm looking for, yeah, don't seek credit. I think he's talking about leaders taking right. the credit for things. Yeah. And it's so tempting, you know, like right now we're doing our annual reports. And so um, we have to, you know, catalog all of our activities, which my external activities kind of stopped on March 13th. So it's a little easier to fill out the form this year. But, um, you know, we also talk about student achievement and, you know, I love it when, when a, somebody does well in an audition for an orchestra or military band and every school that they went to is putting up the banner and we do it too. We should, because we're applauding the student. We all kind of want a piece of the pie for the, the student's achievement. But, but I always say uh, our job is to provide opportunity and to answer questions that are asked. And there's a whole chapter on answering questions that are never asked. The unquestioned answer, <laughs> we call that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, um, when it when it's something great is going on and there's achievement, the students did the work. And well, I think we, we need to just recognize that. It, there's, there's obviously more going on at Baylor than just football or basketball. 
right? I mean, not much football. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, I, <laughs> we'll be back. I, I don't know. Basketball. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm a UK fan. So our football team is not, uh, not that great either, but okay. So, you know, you talk about achievement and I think obviously all these things we're talking about, the, the building of community, the leadership and, and all this other stuff in the book, your experience has created something at Baylor that is becoming obvious to people outside, right? They're seeing your groups go to NTC and not just go to NTC. I mean, you guys kind of, uh, you're starting to rule the roost uh, over there. And, but there are, uh, and, and very successful pe people coming out of your studio. And we can talk about that definition of su success too, right? That doesn't always mean with the horn. That's right. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about uh, this, because this all has to work for a trumpet ensemble to achieve what they've been achieving. And I know it's not the same personnel every year, right? So there's, there's right, there has right. to be this building of understanding what the culture should be. So, yeah. And it, that's, it's a, well, and we could spend the rest of the time on that, but uh, you know, one of the things that uh, it, it dawned on me um, probably after my first six or seven years, when the ball was kind of rolling, it takes a while and there's, I talk about that a lot in the book. You know, I didn't just, recruiting's not easy at first in any new job. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but things are starting to roll. And I started to think that um, whether they're music ed or performance majors, we're all performers, we're all teachers. So let's all get on board with, with both of those ideas. And I thought it was time to move into letting, what we, we have to be project driven. I mean, that's why I wrote a book. That's why I'm doing all these other things. We, we thrive if we have projects. Um, so I thought we should look at the marketplace. You know, what are the opportunities for students to grow? Uh, what does the marketplace offer? And National Trumpet Competition, International Trumpet Guild, they, they offer all kinds of opportunities. So we just started to build some of those things into the curriculum or into the plan for the year. And there's a place in the book that I just show kind of our structure. It's very different right now. The priorities have shifted with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We just want to get through this and be prepared for open doors, right? Right. But uh, just as soon as we started just creating these little projects, um, the work that we had done to that point of trying to build community and improvising together and just learning to hang out and play well together started to show up in in their trumpet ensemble work. And the thing that struck me the most when I started listening to uh, trumpet ensembles was that some of them weren't very pretty, you know, to put it mildly. You know, some it's like the perception sometimes is trumpet is all fanfare. But as we mm -hmm. know, trumpet is fanfare, song and dance. Mm -hmm. And so we started thinking about pieces or doing arrangements or finding works that had those elements, especially the song part. Uh, the trumpet is a beautiful sounding instrument in the right hands. And I, Mike Ewald taught me this, you know, we were talking about some of these things. Maybe I was a freshman, but he said, people will always remember a beautiful trumpet player. You know, now I know higher, faster, louder and all that stuff, but <laughs> well, not anymore. Right. It's here from legend. <laughs> I That's right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's something compelling. I mean, why, why is it that John Williams, you know, he, he, he chose Tim Morrison and he wrote those solos, 
because and they're gripping and they they are inspiring and they're reflective listen to tom ross and, and tim on saving private ryan i mean that's that's a big part of the trumpet now we're not just fanfare folks and there's something about uh, the dance quality you know the lightness off as charles Wood ruby would say guys we got to get off the page get off the page don't put the music back on the page and that's the dance that's that's the so we just started thinking in those terms. And then I think the main, getting back to my high school experience, when I tried hard, I didn't do well. And when I prepared well and didn't put too much weight on the success or the perception of success, uh, I always did better. My best auditions in college were when I didn't care so much. Sounds terrible to say, don't care. You do care. But it's not life or death. It's just an audition. So I fi it finally dawned on me that I can't perform if I'm competing with myself or anybody else. I can't. Now, some people, that's they have the opposite personality, and they thrive on that competition. But I think one of the keys for our students over time in competition has been to don't go in there to compete. Go perform. I don't think you... I don't don't think young musicians can do both at the same time really well. When you perform, then you're naturally competing well. If you're competing, wondering how you're doing, you're not thinking about the music. You're not performing. Mm -hmm. And I say that because, I mean, I, I've witnessed that with our own students. And I've seen them turn on a dime. I mean, some of these groups that have done well could hardly get through the piece three days before. Mm -hmm. And they finally gave up trying so hard and could play it or i saw a group that probably should have done really well and on from lunch walking to the stage i started hearing them about tuning chords and i thought that's it yeah, that's they're gonna the try to, they're gonna yeah. try to play in tune <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's competing yeah well you know and that comes with experience i mean you know of course we learn oh, yeah. from the great experiences but the 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 downs are can be just as valuable very right. Important. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, student teaching with a really poor teacher. I mean, might not be the yes. greatest experience, but you're going to look back at some point and be grateful. It's like, I know what not to do. I know how not to, <laughs> to, to, <laughs> yeah. to behave. It, it reminds me of my first day of student teaching when I was at Baylor and I walked into the junior high band room and couldn't find the, the band director. And they said the office is there. And I walked in and his feet were on the desk and there was a book. And it said real estate, real estate exam guide, study guide. <laughs> and he went, page 32, you can use my baton. And that was it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. So I know not what to do in the junior high band room. Well, um, we're going to take a little bit of a left turn here. And, and uh, we talked a little bit about this the other day. I was asking if it was okay to, to talk about this because it's not always sunshine and roses. That's right. And you have, uh, and, and not just you and Baylor, but you know the musical community at large, the Air Force band community ex has experienced something, uh, a tragedy in the last, uh, I don't know, maybe six, eight months with Sally Tepper and her passing. Can you, and you said it was okay, we should talk about that because sure. th there's an important aspect to that. Yeah, um, well, there's so much we could say. Um, Sally was just uh, just a phenomenal person, and she she had her many struggles. 
probably the most empathetic person I've ever met. Um, her instincts as a musician, and I do talk about this. I don't think it's very tempting as teachers to value our students for their musical ability or lack of, you know, to kind of place their value based upon their abilities. I, I think that's a terrible mistake. I'm sure I made that mistake as a, as a younger teacher. Uh, but Sally was a remarkable person and just happened to be a remarkable uh, musician. I mean, she just was honest and she played the way she was. So Sally could sound so happy and so amazing and she could sound so sad in the way that just tore you up. And that was, that was a lot of her life. So she was honest. And I say one of the most empathetic people, we had a, uh, we had a kind of an online celebration reunion of a lot of Sally's friends on zoom after, after she passed. And um, it was amazing. And all the stories were about whenever they needed something, she was the first one there. She gave and she gave and she gave. So we could go on and on about it, but you know, it's, uh, I'm just so grateful that, uh, and it's happenstance that, that she came into our lives at Baylor. Our, our former Dean and his wife met Sally's mom when they got upgraded on American Airlines flying from Miami to Dallas and started talking. And she said, my daughter's the best high school trumpeter in Florida. And he's like, okay, yeah, sure. And then they conversed and she came and auditioned at Baylor and by golly, she was. <laughs> and uh, just an incredible person. So she has, it's been, a, it, it's left a hole in the heart of, of everybody that knew her. And uh, so we're making, you know, the most of it. And uh, one of the things we're doing is uh, there's a, and if anybody's interested in contributing any amount, there's a new endowment fund in her name. You can simply Google Baylor Sally Tepper Fund and it'll pop up. Um, and uh, we planned on having this fully endowed by the end of this semester. And what it will do is it will uh, help us bring in visitors who are experts in, in wellness. Um, it's specifically for musician wellness. Uh, you know, we live in a time where the students have grown up with perfectionism. They, they are, they've grown up in the digital age and uh, there's this, this illusion of perfectionism that so many people are trying to achieve. So we're gonna continue, our Dean is very good about bringing in folks to talk about these matters. And this will allow us to do more of that. And it will also go to help defray unexpected costs for families who have a student in distress and a family needs some support to get here or if there's some professional help that needs to be uh, you know uh, attained there so uh, I'm, I'm excited for that legacy for just a beautiful person um it's been tough yeah and i'm I, happy I... to talk to anybody uh, and and there have been other losses. Um, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that with some of the the sadness that's going around with the pandemic and, and society, that that's exacerbated. Because I'm not I'm not I mean, if we're talking just trumpet, I'm not the only trumpet teacher that's lost a student in this way this year, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and a couple very recently. You know, I I think until you become a teacher, and it doesn't just have to be at the collegiate 
level, right? I mean, if you're yeah. a, a private teacher, though, there's there's an opportunity for a special kind of relationship. And I think it surprises students sometimes that we want to care and know more about them than just whether or not they made it through their scales or etudes for the week, right? I mean, you've got an opportunity and, and what is it, you know, 28 lessons a year over four years or however, you know, you calculate it. You've got these opportunities to make a connection with them and show them that there's more. There's more to this. And, and of course, it, that's, I think you have to be sincere about building these relationships. I think people could probably pick up very quickly if, oh, yes. if you're just kind yes. of going down the checklist yeah. of, well, I'm going to ask him about this, this. All right, now, scales. Right. But I think <laughs> that's right. But, the timer goes off. But, you know, there is. There's, I, I think that's what makes, uh, our role as an applied teacher much more than just what it says on the paper. We're gonna we're gonna teach them X, Y, and Z freshman year and sophomore year, right? I mean, this is yeah. and, and do you see this when students do you see this kind of realization with students when they're like, oh, this is something special. This is something different. Yeah, it's it's really nice when that happens. It takes everybody's on a little bit different timetable with that. And this is where we just have to be so present with each student because every every minute is either moving towards that moment or pulling away from it. Every response, every sense of judgment, we have to push. I mean, I love stories, you know, of Mark Gould pulling out a McDonald's application and handing it to the student because they haven't practiced. I think that's awesome. <laughs> In with the right relationship. Yes. You know, you can do anything based upon the relationship. And I talk about in the book, pretty frankly, about a couple of times, I totally blew it where I thought I had a certain level of relationship and I said or did something that we went back a long way that we had, I had to regroup with that student. So, yeah, and it is really nice. And I think it happens with, with, I mentioned already, you know, with the laugh or the look in the eye, or when I mess up and they don't, and there's that, Oh, I got him on that one. Or I'll mess up and I'll, and it's their turn to play. And I'll say, this is your big chance, you know, and they go for it. Uh, when you start being playful, start being playful. And that's, that's where, um, that's what we discover, especially, I'll tell you for us, I can only speak for us. The fast track for that is group improvisation because you're conversing with your instruments and you're looking at each other and you're responding and you don't have to be a, a master on the instrument to improvise well in this setting and pick a different groove. And yeah, sometimes things become routine and oh, we're doing that again. But if you can just somehow keep it fresh, the students who Got in, have gotten involved in that. And those who have fully embraced our chamber music program, they'll come back later and say, I had no idea this was unique or special till I mm -hmm. left. And I have to remember that too. So that helps me to try to keep it fresh and, and, uh, and fun. That, that piques my interest about what that, uh, I almost said that structured improvisation, right? <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Those, those terms yeah, don't go a, together. It's a rough plan. Yeah. But uh, what does that actually look like? I mean, do you pick a, a jazz tune and everybody plays through the, the head and then yeah, take so, solos or what is that? No, it's uh, we never play anything that's been written or played before. 
And uh, it's going to be any particular style. And as you as you work towards the end of the book, I go um, at length about how we do this. And I, I we may have done this at that Ball State recital. I think we did a trumpet ensemble that was improvised. I could be wrong, but no, I, I remember. Almost, I do. I remember this. Yeah, we it made that terrific. up, and people stood up. I mean, they clapped, you know, and we bowed. So it was good enough. Uh, and so um, basically. Uh, we don't think about it till it happens. Uh, we will go through our 30 or 40 minute call and response, no metronome, no tuner, just us call and response. And then I'll look at a student. I'll say, pick a key. Uh, one of our freshmen once said uh, F natural major. That was a good key. So we did F natural major. <laughs> Sorry, Luke. And, uh, <laughs> and okay, what meter? And then uh, in the early stages, I'll start and I'll just decide if it's going to be fast or slow. Uh, very often we'll do a chant. Let's just do Dorian, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so we'll just all play a short solo. And, you know, the rule is basically just like comedians or actors. If you, Tina Fey talks about it, you know, somebody does something and you're improvising, you say yes. And then you, the next person says yes and... And then it's like, well, what what if? And this is this is what combos do, right? This is what we're doing tonight. You mm -hmm. and I are improvising based upon some themes. I know this is so different than rehearsal yesterday. I know this is <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> where we are so, so far off script. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's uh, it's really I think that for us that's been the glue because uh, it could be aleatoric, it could be anything. And uh, and the lyrical ones are the ones that really stick. You know, you, you kind of walk away going, ah. And there's no music, and nobody's done this before, so they have no choice once they get comfortable. Might take a little time for some. Others fully embrace it. Suddenly, intonation is fantastic. They start to match articulation without any discussion of matching articulation. I mean, we would we could do this if we started scatting together and we didn't have latency, right? Mm -hmm. We could start matching each other exactly, and we would be improvising. And so this was just, uh, I don't know, it's just been a real eye-opener for me. Uh, and Kenny Werner's book, Effortless Mastery, was kind of the plant of the seed of thought for this. And then I heard Alan Alda talking about improvisation, and that was about the time I was improvising in recitals with students. And uh, it was just, it's like, wow. This is for everybody. And traditionally, classical musicians shy away from it. And we miss out a lot. And Marvin it doesn't have Perry. to be jazz. Marvin Perry, I don't know if you know Chappie, but he was principal trumpet with the Indianapolis Symphony for 43 years. Right. Uh, he, he was my teacher at Butler University. Uh, and I remember him telling me, and, and he would improvise, even though he was one of the strongest classical lyricist, mm -hmm. lyrical players. Mm -hmm. But he would say, you got to be like the jazzers. The jazzers have the best ears. They're the ones that listen and, and adapt the quickest. And, you know, that I immediately think about Mark Inouye. And mm -hmm. I remember seeing Mark in recital where the first half was, you know, the, the kind of, maybe not Artunian, but, you know, the, the legit. Yeah. Do and, the then, yeah. and then he came back in the second half with a combo and tore it up. And I'm like, well, it, there's no wonder <laughs> that he's the musician that he is, right? Because he's he's got 
everything going and using his ears, using his, you know, both sides of the brain. Right. And I'm I'm sure he would say that 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 informs because that's what Kenny Werner says. You know, Uh, I call it the spirit of improvisation. I mean, how can you transfer that those sensibilities, that beauty to your Hmm. classical music if you haven't experienced it creating it, you know, creating music? And that's the whole idea. You know, if and that's that's one of the distraction things. Like, for instance, if a student is playing pictures and it's out of tune because it usually is. And for silly reasons, by the way, I'm not going to get into that because they're adjusting the wrong notes. But I know where you're coming from. Yeah. So I have them improvise, you know, in that key and make up, you know, play the rhythm if you want, but just play something kind of like pictures and then either you decide or I'll point and go into pictures. And after they've improvised and they've established the creative side of the brain as being in charge and they go into the excerpt, always remarkably better mm-hmm. every time. And yeah. that's that's what Mark's doing when he plays, you know, West Side Story with San Francisco. Well, and, and back to Mark Gould, I think one of the funniest things was his way of the blade, you know, where he was uh, <laughs> yes. talking to God talking to God, right. Or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Right. Lyrics. But, you know what? but right. But, but he did something. He totally, you could call it an improvisation. He totally changed the context on that. So you stop thinking about triple tongue pattern and where's the crescendo going to be and how long should I hold that half note and da 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 da. Right now you've yep. got those lyrics in your head. How much easier does it make playing that opening solo, right? And, and I'm thinking Absolutely. now, I need to write lyrics to the lyric solo, <laughs> right? Because, well, and, and maybe Mark already has, but we'd have to, it wouldn't be a PG show anymore, right? It would be very different. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I see the, the opportunity to include improvisation. I mean, this, this is going into my, as much as I can incorporate this semester, this is going in <laughs> to what I'm going to, going to do. It's awesome. Uh, um, you know, but there again, I think that's, that's, this is what I get excited about is an opportunity, Ooh, maybe for another opportunity to, to get through to a student, right? This stuff might not reach every student, but there are ways Absolutely. that we try to find to reach, you know, because you've got the tactile learners, the visual learners, the oral learners, uh, you know, and, and maybe some other people Absolutely. are just intuitive, right? You've got to find a way to make that connection. Yeah. I, you know, I have a list, um, uh, on another sticky note in the office, I'm an analog kind of guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, s- some students, if you have them conduct the music that they're playing, they will suddenly play it better after they've conducted. It's like, okay, conduct it. And if it's Charlie A2, conduct a rubato so it can be it's very clear to your ensemble or your soloist. Um, lyrics. Definitely. In fact, at the clinic at Ball State, where you were, there was a gal mm-hmm. that played Boutade. And I have this towards the end of the book. I talk about mm-hmm. writing lyrics and she was very nervous. So as a group, we all came up, up with lyrics. I play trumpet. Yes, I do. It's very cool to play the trumpet. Very to, to play the trumpet. That is what I do. Play the trumpet, play the trumpet. So after we got her adrenaline <laughs> evaporating and we created lyrics, she played it again beautifully after the whole audience sang it with her and the pianist mm-hmm. and what a great distraction, uh, orchestration. If they're struggling on an etude, um, 
then let's orchestrate it. Is this oboe or clarinet or violin? Okay, now this phrase. Dum dum da da da. Well, obviously that's going to be like the brass section. Woodwinds. Dum dum da da da. You know, so orchestration or colors. Some students love colors. Okay, play me some red. You know, what's this sound like? Blue. You know, I mean, we could go on and on and on. You know, the old buzz it, sing it, play it, conduct it, orchestrate it color it, um, write lyrics for it. And you're right. Uh, different things work for different people. Mm -hmm. it, you Alex know, it, Bender. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, please. Alex Bender, you're talking about. Well, Alex Bender, he's a real up and comer. If you don't know Alex Bender, look out. But uh, he's he's a very successful New York uh, player on, and on Broadway. He actually had a role on the stage and he's from Harrisburg. He's living in Chicago, teaching at a, a college there right now. Uh, but, you know, he's uh, given a couple of great classes for us, and he's all about action verbs. And I'm not going to steal his mm -hmm. thunder, but it was one of the most fantastic, one of the greatest responses to a class we've had. It was on Zoom. And uh, and he, everybody's muted, but he said, whatever you're working on for Mr. Rudd, play it. And then he showed us a list of words. And he said, now pick a word and now play it and play that word, play that action verb. And all my students reported back that they played it better. They just, they just mm. added, and we've been doing that. So I have that list in my studio and uh, he's going to write a book. He's going to write a book someday. And he's, uh, but <laughs> Alex Bender, 10% Alex. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll put that in the notes. Yeah, that's, that's going right along with what I was going to say a second ago, you know, say play red and maybe what they play. And I can remember, I've tried to be very careful not to have somebody do that and then go, no, no, that's not red. Well, that, but see, <laughs> you don't know what right? red is. <laughs> that, but that's their red, right? That's right. You know, and so maybe I'm going to say, okay, I look at red as this, right? So I'm going to have to define it a little more clearly. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to have to accept what they play. That's right. Because as soon as you, yeah, uh, as soon as you, you're kind of shutting them down, no, that's not red. Well, now what? Now I have no idea of what what I'm supposed to play. Right. I, <laughs> yeah, I can see right. that could be really detrimental, uh, but uh, sorry, I, I, I'm just, uh, no, yeah. that's good. We'll be here all night. Well, uh, this is great. You know, I, I never thought I would enjoy teaching as much as I do. Uh, I kind of uh, happened into it. You know, I mean, it wasn't like somebody forced it on me. I mean, it was, an, and I'm teaching at my alma mater too, which it's just a, it was a very sweet. cool thing. That's right. Sweet. Uh, but you know, I, I was, I was going to be a performer, right? That was my focus. Mm -hmm. And yeah. all of a sudden you start teaching and also selfishly, it makes you better as a, as a player, right? right? Don't, I mean, <laughs> don't you find that when you come back from a concert or a rehearsal with great musicians, your teaching is better, right? You are, you're inspired or you learn something new. You know, mm -hmm. I had a, a freshman ask me one time, because I did a, a, a week-long tour in the South doing recitals and master classes at four or five different universities. And that was new to her, me being gone for a week. Your I wife, just, did, I, did, you, did you pay you know, the bill? Uh, you know what? It was on a, it was on an external charger. Uh, this is, there we go. So and we'll, we'll, I came <laughs> back and, and she said, why, why do you do that? Why do you leave us for a week? And I said, well, I'm, because I'm going to teach you better now. And I need... I need to grow in that way. 
And I always learn something with from those students and those professors I work with, mm -hmm. witness another school of music, and I I bring back something mm -hmm. that they shared, and I mm -hmm. and I have epiphanies while I'm driving to the next next town. Right? That was that was life on tour, daily epiphanies. Yeah, you know, and uh, daily listenings and uh, conversations. That's what that's what fuels us. And don't you don't you find that? You're, you just said it, your teaching makes you a better player. Mm -hmm. And makes you a better teacher, right? I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice cycle, not a vicious cycle. It's a nice yeah. cycle. Uh, yeah. We're very Vin fortunate. Vince DiMartino was my first teacher and, and, you know, I mean, I mean, right. <laughs> he's, he's the best, uh, but mm. you know, uh, Lexington is not that far from Indianapolis. And so I've had Vinny up here to UND, but he's also come to ball state and yeah, you know, anytime he's close, I go and and try to get uh, in his master class, and I still take notes. I shouldn't say I still. I yeah. never. Took, I never took notes when I was studying with him, but now I take notes, right? Yeah. But and he takes notes too. <laughs> he does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, mm -hmm. this is and and he's said some things. I'm like, oh. That's brilliant because now again, back to being able to find something to relate to a student, right? It's like, oh, that's the phrase right there that's going to open yep. that door, yeah, or or yep. turn the lights on, or you know, open their eyes, whatever, or or it opened my eyes to something. But uh, and there again, there's somebody who is a role model who continually strives to improve. He's, you know, Vince. Vince is just uh, he's. I mean, he's like the godfather now, right? The, mm -hmm. For all of us. And he's mm -hmm. just, but he's still a student and he's just <laughs> has this appetite for, for learning. And I mean, he gets so excited and I shared with you last week, you know, some mm -hmm. of the things that, that he did just for us in our little world as touring musicians, Yeah, such an enthusiast and such a, you know, I, I mean, I'll be honest as a younger professional, um, sometimes in professional circles, you know, some of the conventions or whatever, it was not always the happiest or healthiest supportive vibe. Trumpet players have been kind of famous for that over the years, but I have to say that, that it's, I think it's changed a lot over the years. And I think people like Vince are a big part of that. It's so welcoming and he'll, he'll let you know, what you can do right now to make it better. I mean, I have a couple mm -hmm. of very specific stories. And when we did some touring together, she's like, you know, if you did that, it's like, oh, duh. I mean, he's <laughs> he needs to publish all the little tidbits, you know, Vince's tidbits or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but he just he just puts you at ease and he makes you uh, I don't know, he he allowed me to trust myself mm. more anytime mm -hmm. he was around. Mm -hmm. I mean when you first play at some of these conventions and you're going, Oh my gosh, there's so-and-so and there's, there's Vince, you know, and, there's like, <laughs> and, and Vince has a way of allowing all that to just disappear. Bob yeah. Shue, it's the same way. It's kind of like, he loves music. Mm -hmm. He loves being moved by music. And that's what he tries to convey. I, I, so I'm going to follow up on two things. I remember Grand Rapids ITG. This was probably 2013, 14, somewhere yeah. in that in neighborhood. Vince was part of, you know, one of the big concerts that featured a, a lot of people came out and played this beautiful cornet piece. He missed a note and he turned and he went, yeah, and just kept playing. And to me, that was like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, 
that's how it should be. So what? Yeah. And I tell yep. you what, there wasn't anybody that said, oh, I'm leaving. I can't believe this hack's trying to get, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but to understand that, I mean, to think that does Sergey ever miss a note? Does Alan Fazuti ever miss a note? Well, you know, okay. So we're talking about maybe, <laughs> maybe not very many and maybe not in performance uh. either, but you know, it's like, uh, that was just to me, a great example of, of what you should do as a performer. And you mentioned Bobby Shue. I interviewed Bobby mm-hmm. and th- this has been kind of cool with several interviews, but Bobby and I email back and forth every week. He checks in on me. How are you doing this week? How's your chops? I, you know, I've, I've had some, uh, some uh, chop issues recently and, you know, here That's I am great. telling, telling everybody about it, but, you know, I reached out to Wayne Bergeron and, and Bobby Shue and both of them were, and, and Bobby keeps sending me stuff, PDFs. He's like, check this, oh, yeah. out. check this yeah. and yep. you know, and, and do this and do that. And I'm like, this is, this is again, what, what you would, well, it's what I aspire to do, you know, is to be that kind of a giving. They're just so generous. And, and mm-hmm. Bobby and I had the good, I mean, it was my good fortune to, to be together for a week in Columbia a few years ago. And I just ate it up. I mean, it was, the stories were incredible, you know, and then like a week mm-hmm. after we got home, there's a big package full of DVDs that he sent me, you know, and then he tried to buy my book. And I said, you know, Bobby, I'm sending you a book. You're not, yeah. you're not buying this. You know, you gave me all this stuff. And a week after he gets the book, another set of CDs, and, you know, <laughs> these, these guys are so generous. Yeah. They're just yeah. phenomenal. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, I want to go back and, and, Okay, so it's not that I'm out to name drop, but you know I've had the good fortune to talk to a lot of people and make a lot of friends over the last few years. But so a couple of days ago, I called Doc. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I, I do love being able to say that. So I called Doc. Actually, I, I called Kathy, and Doc picked up her phone. So I ended up talking to Doc for a little bit, and he asked That's me, great. "Goes, how's your chops today?" I said, "They're great. How are yours?" Yeah, well, you know, I haven't figured it out yet. He goes, you know, sometimes <laughs> I look at that horn and I think, should I just put it in the case and never touch it again? <laughs> and then he goes, nope, never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, happen. now, again, here's a 93-year-old who has nothing else to prove, right? One of the, the greatest living musicians and striving still. He told me he's just started the Tebow uh, routine or warm-up. I mean, uh, he's amazing. <laughs> how do you respond it's to that? Another, no, he's always been, always been a student. Yeah. He's, it's the same thing, this appetite for knowing something else. I remember we were on tour Dallas Brass Days, and uh, we had a day off. So uh, we went to hear him with the, uh, it was in Orange County. So he was directing the orchestra there. Mm-hmm. We got there early, hoping to meet him, you know, and mm-hmm. we're walking up the loading dock acting like we know what we're doing so they don't stop us. Right. And we walked in and we could hear him backstage just, and this was mid nineties. Unbelievable sound coming out the doors before we opened them. And that's mm-hmm. when he had these bel canto trumpets, you know, or bel canto as some people call them. Right. He had like 12 trumpets lined up and we introduced ourselves and he said, Oh, so you're trumpet players. So listen, tell me which one you like. So, I mean, we weren't 10 feet away in the blast zone but you know the thing about that sound was that it didn't hurt and you didn't want to do this because it was so resonant Mm -hmm. and commanding and he he 
I don't know how many hours he played that afternoon. And then he played the, and conducted the show that night. And it was just incredible. But I got to hear him live as I was a kid growing up in Houston. He would come uh, play at the local high school every year and with his fancy suits, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Such you know what? Uh, um, so I'm coming up on uh, 100 episodes. Uh, I've actually got 143 done. Number 87 came out yesterday, but I've got 143 wow. done. But uh, Doc, I, I did uh, a third, actually, interview with him recently, and it was in the 130s, and I thought, no, he's going to be, I'm going to move him up. He's going to be number number 100. He's going to be that capstone <laughs> for that. That's great. But there are stories that he tells in there that I'm thinking, I wonder, and I'm sure he's told them many times, but to me, it's, it, what's, it's what makes Doc special. Yeah. And I think what a, what a great spokesman for humanity for music for trumpet of course um but yeah uh so and that's not that far away right that's i'm great. number 80 87 so that's great uh you know i'm sitting here i'm thinking man if we could we could go all night sure. um <laughs> I, i'm looking over here just to double check see if there's any questions there are a lot of people just saying they appreciate uh and love what you're saying uh david Help me out to catch David you... T catch. Yeah. T-catch. So his son, his son, Joey is uh, studying now at, at Col the Colburn school oh. with Jim Wilt, you know, mm -hmm. virtually of mm -hmm. course, but Joey mm -hmm. graduated from Baylor uh, last year, phenomenal young talent. And uh, so yeah, Vince loaned Joey his trumpet for a jazz concert at Interlochen because <laughs> <laughs> Joey did Interlochen two or three summers. Oh, got and, it. Uh, got it. Yeah. Great, yeah. great, great, great guys. Well, I, I think what's going to have to happen is uh, we have to actually do a, a an interview, right? Not a live thing, but we may have to schedule a time uh, sure. when we can just sit and, and do some more of this. Or we may have to do another live event if you're up for it <laughs> at some point. <laughs> it's it's but, a pleasure. I... But this this has been a treat. Uh, you know, it's uh, to get to meet you, um, chat with you and uh and learn a lot from you this this has been great and you know i when i go back to edit this stuff it's like i, I realize i can see how much i've been smiling through this whole thing <laughs> but you know it, during the edit process it's like oh my gosh that was brilliant that's when i can i can really start to process what happened so i'm looking forward to going through this going through this again um hey everybody that was here tonight thank you so much uh for being here i i appreciate it I know Wiff appreciates it, and uh, this has been kind of cool as as this stuff goes out on YouTube and the podcast platform tomorrow. I've noticed that, you know, uh, maybe only a few dozen here tonight, but uh, these have been getting a hundred or two hundred views the following day. So it's like, great, which I'm thrilled. You know, I I think this has been some great conversation, and people are going to know if they don't know you already, they're going to know an awful lot more about about you. So. Um, well, thanks for doing this, and and this is part of building community. I, I appreciate your generosity. Well, you're very welcome, and thank you for writing the book. What what a terrific resource! What a terrific contribution to to the studios and and to you know a personal library. I, I I'm thrilled that I, I've got it. Thank you for the the uh, inscription in the front. 
I appreciate that. It means I can never sell it in a, in a book, uh, <laughs> in a garage sale. You know, I, I'm going to have to hold yeah. on to it. Right. I, so, I tell people if, if I know them, I'll say, can I sign it for you? But I always say it could lower the value. So feel free <laughs> to say no. No, no, no. I think if anything, it raises, raises the value on that. So uh, where can people get your book? Oh, they, they can do it through Amazon. Um, I also sell it on my website, which is just whiffrun.com. Uh, I also have a, a a bundle deal there. It has my collaborative practice book. So there's a there's a, a special prize for those combined. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a few universities that are using this for like brass literature and pedagogy pedagogy classes. Um, if there if anybody is ever interested in a a group sale, they just just can contact me directly through mm-hmm. the website. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know this is. Uh, you know, I, I do make sure that some of the proceeds go to the Sally Tepper Fund, as well as uh, the Ryan Anthony Foundation or Cancer Blows. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are those are the two <clears throat> two foundations that uh, I want to keep supporting. You know, through this through this ever because uh, both those people were so uh, special so special in my life. Uh, I had the good fortune to interview Ryan and, and yeah. to meet him, and oh my gosh. Uh, well, you know, grateful that, you know, the world had him as long as we did. But, uh, yeah, his legacy is certainly living on, not just through That's cancer amazing. blows, but uh, through all the people that he he uh, he worked with, taught, played with. So um, thank you. Thank you for thank your you. time. Thank you, Larry. And uh, good luck with, uh, with uh, or best wishes, I should say, with your studio this semester and beyond. Same to you and all, all the other folks. Yeah. yeah. Guys, again, thanks for being here. Uh, don't forget, tomorrow night, Carl Hammett of, Carl, of uh, Hammett Design and uh, David Messina, Erica Howard of uh, Messina Covers. That's going to round out my Industry Pro Showcase uh, <laughs> for this week. And, uh, of course, uh, studiohfl.com. I'm trying to throw all this the stuff in here before we take off. But, um, again, thanks for being here uh, as an audience. Whiff, thank you very much. I wish you good health, and uh, hopefully thank we'll you. meet sometime soon. We will. Thank you so much. You bet. All the all best. Right. Well, that's where today's interview ends. You've heard the full version. And with regular interviews, I will have excerpted one or more significant stories and made those available exclusively for my Patreon patrons. You can find out more about how to receive that benefit and others at patreon.com slash studio HFL. And to those who are already patrons, thank you, thank you, thank you. Another reminder to visit Apple Podcast and to leave both a star rating and a review. And please visit the Studio HFL YouTube channel and subscribe. This has been a production of Pal Music. I love saying that, you know, because it's really, that's me. I'm the chef, sous chef, and dishwasher here at Studio HFL. This show is supported. Oh, so I guess really what I'm saying is I'm responsible for the good, the bad, and the ugly on this. So thanks for bearing with me on some of these things. This show is supported by the generosity of Messina Covers, Eastman Winds, S.E. Shires, and Pickett Blackburn. Once again, I'm your host, Larry Powell. Grateful that you spent some time here today. And be sure to check out all of the previous interviews. Have a great day and see you next time.